Good morning. Welcome, welcome. Sorry, it's almost good afternoon, but um, welcome to the, <clears throat> the third part of the mini-series on suffering. We've uh, been looking at suffering over the past three weeks. First, we looked at the sovereignty of God in suffering. We saw that we don't understand the question why, but we can benefit from his sovereignty. I'm not sure how many of you love this movie, The Sound of Music. And if you, uh, if you read the book, it's not in the movie, but if you read the book, there's a phrase that says, God's will hath no why. So in the, in the book and in the, Maria, in, in, in the movie, Maria is a vivacious nun who is in an abbey, and uh, everybody loves her, but what do you do with a problem like Maria? Everybody, like she doesn't fit into the abbey. And there's a request from the Trapp family for a governess. And so they nominate Maria to go to be the governess. And Maria does not want to go. And so she is summoned into Mother Superior's office. And there she reads, God's will hath no why. If God has willed it, there is no why. That's what it means, the sovereignty of God. And then we saw the problem, uh, sorry, the, the, um, how God uses suffering in our lives, the purpose of God in suffering. You see, when, if you're a human, you would have suffered. We all go through suffering. But the thing with suffering is our response to it. We look at suffering, and sometimes we say, if it were not for that, I would have been something else. If I was not abused as a child, if I was not bullied in school, if I was not abandoned by you know, my parents or whatever it is, I would have been something else. But now, because of suffering, I'm here. Some of you might look at suffering and say, that, thank God, even though I suffered, in spite of suffering, I should have been here, but I'm somewhere here, and I'm thankful to God for that. But what God's word is saying to us is that you are not in spite of your suffering, you are because of your suffering, that God uses your suffering because he works all things for good to them that love God. And so if you frame yourself by your suffering, you might just be missing out on the purposes and the grace of God. And we, we understand pain is difficult. It's not easy. But we, we look at God's word and we recognize this to be true. And so today we want to look at the grace of God in suffering. We want to see what is it that Paul experienced when he suffered. So I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read from verses 7 to verse uh, 10. And if I can have you stand up as I read God's word in honor of God's word, if you can, would you please do that? I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 7. And so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messen messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father God, as we look to your word, would you speak to us? May your spirit find those areas, Lord, those places where we have raised idols against you, that they would be destroyed. The light would be shed in those dark areas of our life. And together as a church, as a community, we can behold the glories of Christ. And in beholding him, we would stand in amazement so that the world is able to see that we belong to you and that seeing our good works, they would be your, your, the, our Father in heaven would be glorified. We thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so <clears throat> we wanted to look at we want to look at grace today, and the idea is um, God's grace being different from the grace that we get from the world. If you were to say, define for me what is grace, we, you know, we have cliched answers for grace, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, or the things that we didn't deserve. We, we have phrases for grace, and sometimes those phrases, I mean, th those messages are great, but those phrases don't pull out our hearts. So I, I wanted to say, how do I understand grace? And I think the best way to look at it is how God's grace is different from the grace that world gives. You see, the grace that world gives is that of a supplement. What that means is it tops up. Whatever effort you put in, it tops up. It's given so that you don't fail. You don't, you know, you, you, you just pass. And I remember my Sanskrit, I had to take Sanskrit. It was like Latin. I, didn't, I don't even know why I was supposed to. But 35 was the pass mark. But if I get 32, I was assured of three marks grace. So I'm working towards 32. And th this grace actually lowered the standards. It actually made me feel less of myself as I receive this grace. It makes me feel like a panhandler. I hope I get these three marks and I just barely pass. So it's intended to supplement. It's intended to give best, your best effort a little more push so that you can just pass. That is the kind of grace that this world gives. And the very cardinal rule of this grace is that we don't create dependency, right? When we, when we give to the panhandlers, we want to make sure that they don't become dependent on this grace, and, and we want to strengthen them. We want to make them independent. That's the kind of grace that this world will offer you. But the kind of grace the world offers you is very different. It's not a supplement, but it's a substitute. It is to say that this weakness that I have, that this effort that I have is of nothing, of no consequence. I need to get a substitute. I get to, need to get another person who is going to stand in my place. This grace is intended to show you your weakness, which is unable, but to say that there is a person whose strength is able. It is not intended to make you independent, but to be dependent 
to be trusting fully, to say that there is no other place I would go except this one place, God's grace. And that's the kind of grace that Paul is talking to us about when he speaks about grace. I want us to understand grace is totally different from, this, from the way this world would have us imagine. So I want you to look at, therefore, at verse 8, and I want to give you four principles that we get from this passage on grace. The four principles on grace. The first one, I want to say, grace is not a pain medication. Grace is not an epidural. We were talking about it yesterday. Do you want to say that? Grace is not an epidural. Not an epidural. Because, you see, grace is not intended to take pain away, but to give you strength. If you think that God has invited you to, to remove pain, then you probably have heard the wrong gospel. I want to remind you about what happened with Peter. The Lord Jesus Christ tells Peter, Satan demanded that I sift you. I prayed, what? That your faith fail not. And then when you repent, you will strengthen your brothers. You see, what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, not saying to the devil, no, there's no way you can test him, you can sift him. No, you can't do that. But he will go through the pain, he will go through the suffering, but the Lord Jesus Christ is praying that his faith fail not, and that when he repents, having done, having failed in his weakness, depending therefore always on his weakness, that's what the Peter we see in the Gospels. But having turned, he strengthens his brother, and the Peter that we see in the book of Acts and later in the epistles is not the Peter that we see in the gospel. First of all, pain is not an epidural. Now, we, we don't know what Paul is suffering from, you see, because he says here, a thorn was given to me in the flesh and a messenger of Satan to harass me. I want you to say there's a, I want you to see that there's a double whammy. There's a physical pain in the body, there's a thorn in the flesh, but there is also a messenger of Satan to harass. It's in the mind. Because some of the words there in your translation would say torment, to trouble, there's mental anguish. And so what Peter is, sorry, what Paul is going through is both in his body and in his mind. This, this week, this last week, sorry. Sorry, I was going through so much pain. And um, I, 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 the only... The only mental anguish I had was like, I, I'm not able to do anything. I'm just on my bed. But Paul, uh, Paul here is talking about a continuous, continuous this harassment in his mind and a thorn in his flesh. The truth is pain is painful. It doesn't go away and sovereignty of God says and allows our ch his children to go through suffering to such an extent that they go through despair and hopelessness in his book suffering and the sovereignty of God John Piper writes a story of Robert Dabney who is a 19th century theologian in a span of a month he loses two of his children Jimmy and Bobby. 
And when Jimmy died, Robert Dabney writes, the grief was painful. The cheering truths of the Bible and his people at that time ministered comfort to him. Even though it was painful, there was comfort from God's word. But then when the second child died, the stroke was repeated and thereby doubled. I was paralyzed and stunned. I knew that the same cheering truths were, would apply to the second, but I remained numbed downcast, almost without hope and interest. He is saying, first time I was okay, but now with repeated storm, I lost my son again. It seems like I've lost any, uh, any sensation, numbness, and hopelessness. When we hear this, we say, no, 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 we don't want to hear that kind of language, especially from a theologian who has understood God's word, but that is the truth. Pain is painful. God allows us to go through pain. But the question then is, what is our response? How do we respond when this happens? How do we respond when we get to the bottom of our own self and find that hopelessness and despair? What is the price of your denial? That's the question I want to ask you at this point. The price of your denial, that is, what to what extent of pain are you able to take before you say, I'm just going to give up. I don't want it. I just walk away. What's the price of your denial? Because the devil is placed, he assumes that, he, that that's the price of denial, and for, he's done that for each of us. And he does that with Job, doesn't he? He tells God, if you take the things that you bless him with, or if you touch his body, he's going to deny you. And he failed. But he has not given up. He keeps trying that with you today. Hoping that you have a very low price of denial. And so when in pain we plead, desperately plead, we go like Paul says three, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. And that brings us to the second principle. Grace often uses the back door to enter. Grace often uses the back door to enter. You see, Paul has been pleading three times, and there are among us who've been pleading a hundred times, a hundred times for deliverance, a hundred times that, that the relationships would be restored, a hundred times for the salvation of, of the family member, a hundred times for so many things, and God doesn't seem to hear. God is silent, it seems, and he doesn't hear. You may have felt like the psalmist in Psalm 88. If you read Psalm 88, it probably is, it's probably the saddest psalm because it begins by saying, oh, day and night I cry unto you, O God, and that psalm ends without any answer from God. There's absolute silence from heaven. But in times like that, I want you to turn around because grace may have just slipped in. We expect grace to come in with a lot of drama and fanfare. We are like Naaman when he stood before the house of Elisha, hoping that he'd be healed by leprosy, and Elisha just sends a word out saying that go dip yourself in River Jordan, and he, and he, was, he was very um, affronted. I mean, he, he took affront. 
I thought he would come out and call upon the God of, uh, of Israel and heal me with a fanfare. That is the way we expect grace to work in our lives. We want this excitement and this drama to happen, but I want you to pause and look around because oftentimes I'm said grace can only be seen in the rear view mirror. As you look back and you see, grace was there at the time of your worst suffering. You probably have heard of Manita Rendell. She's a blogger. She uh, writes for um, some of the um, famous websites, ministry sites. Uh, she's written a book called The Scars That Have Shaped Me, How God Meets Us in Suffering. And she writes about her three times. She was affected by polio, and so she had to walk with crutches. And she became a target in school. And, and one day she says in school while I was there, I, I had heard in, in church that God answers prayer. If you, without doubting, if you answer, ask him, he will answer and he will provide. And, and so he says, God, I, I trust you. I, tr I, I, I know you can heal. And so I'm going to get up and walk without the crutch and give me the strength to walk. And she tried, kids laughed, and she didn't get healed. And so she assumed there's no God. But the grace of God pursued her. Many years later, she writes about a time when she's holding her baby in her hand and pleading with God, oh God, would you save the life of this child? And within hours later, the child died. God was silent. And some years later, as a result of all this trauma, the husband leaves her and she pleaded with God, oh God, you know, I am incapable, I'm invalid, I've got two kids, I am not able to take care. Please make sure, make sure that he doesn't leave the family, but he does. And today she stands as the trophy of grace. She said all of those times, those hard times, I could only go because of grace silently slipped in through the back door. Grace that gave me strength. And we, we sometimes wonder how much a person can take. And the truth of the matter is we cannot. We need grace that strengthens us. We, you've, you've also heard of the story of Annie J. Flint. Annie J. Flint was an invalid. She was incontinent. At the time when there's no diapers, she didn't have money to support herself, so she was dependent on, on family and friends who would take care of her. She was supported by seven pillows, uh, and she developed cancer later. But she's the one who wrote, He giveth more grace when burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his, addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, other days have done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. You see, God does bring us to the end of our hope and of our strength, and you must come to that place because you must know that your strength and your hope that you have in yourself is of no avail. It has to be the substitute of the goodness and the 
faithfulness of the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. But as you keep going into verse 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. You see, when, when we go through suffering, we want to know the answer why. We, we looked at that in the first session. When someone else goes through suffering, we offer solutions. We tell them the why. We, we think we are helping them. And when somebody is trying to give you solutions, you, you say, just, 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 you know, just listen, just be with me in my moment. We reduce our life into a three-step process. You, you, you should do this, do this, do this. We have our home, home remedies for problems. But what we need is someone to understand and what God does He's, he offers himself. Grace is his presence. Grace is his presence. That's your third principle about grace. I want you to understand. You see, the very God of the universe, he's the one who comes alongside, and he does not send an angel of grace. There's no angel of grace. He could have sent 10,000 angels, but what he does is he comes along and says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's his grace. He's the one who's come alongside to strengthen you in your time of weakness. He will allow you to go through fire, but he enters, he joins you in the heat. Daniel's friends are able to say that, and you, when you go through suffering, you would be able to say that, that he came alongside. Who is that fourth man who appears to be like the son of God who's with me in my suffering? The world might see who Christ is. No wonder the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. The comforter. We've said this before. The word comfort now, it seems like he's a soother. He comes and, you know, pats you on your shoulder. But the word comfort actually comes from come and forte. Come is with and forte is the word you get fortitude with or strength. And the idea is he comes to strengthen. In your weakness, my strength will be made perfect, will be made perfect. But as you go on, we see grace thrills you with divine contentment. It says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with, read with me, weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. You see, the Paul of verse 10 is not the Paul of verse 7. The Paul of verse 7 was pleading for grace and for, for healing, but now he recognizes for the sake of Christ. He has understood greater than the suffering is Christ himself. Greater than healing, greater than relief is the presence of Christ. The value and the worth of Christ cannot be put in the price of the suffering that we go through. This momentary light affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits us. So writes Paul in Corinthians. Grace 
gives a different perspective. I know some of us are good photographers. They, they can look, look through the lens and they get a different perspective. And we're like, wow, how, how did you capture that? And we enjoy that. You see, what happens when you go through grace, gr- grace allows you, suffering allows you to look through the grace, through the lens of grace to get a different perspective. Suffering allows you to look through the lens of grace to get a different perspective. And that's what Paul has done here. He says, the Lord has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies, Psalm 23. And this grace that he experiences is a transferable skill. And IT speak, it works across all platforms. Or as an HR guy, I would say this is a transferable skill. You learned one thing, but you can use that skill for everything else. And what Paul does here is he says, I suffered in one thing, but now even in whipsy. Well, that's the way to remember, all right? The weaknesses, hardship, insults, persecution, and calamities. Even on all of those things, because of Christ, I'm content. Grace gives you contentment, peace in what you're going through. What is weaknesses? It's inability, it's incompetence, it's your sickness, it's your fear, it's your physical weakness. Insult. We've all felt being insulted, mental anguish, scorn, being mistreated, spoken badly, made to look small, or you've gone through hardship, trying times, relational issues, boss trouble, financial, emotional, social persecution. You may have been passed on uh, because of your faith. Calamities, natural calamities, property loss, income loss, you know, flooded basement, I don't know what. But in all of those, Paul is saying, I'm now content because I've understood for the sake of Christ, this is worth much more. So what do we do? I guess that's the question we have to ask. And I'm going to give you two things that you can do. The two things I'm saying that I want to do when I go through suffering. The first thing that you can do is when you suffer, look up and see a wounded God. Look up and see a wounded God. A God, as John reveals to us in Revelation chapter 5, that the one who is worthy to take the scroll, break the seal, is the one who was the lamb slain. When Thomas had a doubt about who, uh, about this resurrection and all of that, Jesus comes along and says, touch my wound. There, in the economy of God, there's something about this wound, something about the suffering that he places great value. So when you suffer, look up and see this God who is wounded for you. He suffered for you and now suffers with you to conform you, to make you into the purposes that he has called you to. So look up. But not just look up, I want you to look, look in. I want you to look in. At the beginning, we said, uh, you see, we asked this question, why me? Why me? Why me? Why am I going through this pain? Why am I going through suffering? Why is there one storm after another? Just, just me, just me. And we said, no, don't stop asking that question, why me? Ask now, why him? Because he suffered for me. 
we said that. But today I want to say, ask this question, why me? Why me not as a victim? Why me not as one who's been suffering? But why me as a recipient of such great grace? Why would God show his grace to an unworthy me? The one who is wounded would give much grace so that when I suffer, I come to the end of my hoarded resources. I've come to the end of my hope, my strength, and I just don't have anything. I can say, God speaks to me and says, my grace is sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And in that, I, I'm satisfied. For he satisfies. His grace, indeed, is sufficient. Father God, we thank you for your son. There are many things in this life we don't understand. Many things, Lord, the foremost of it, why have we been the recipients of such grace, such abundant grace that you would empty heaven's glory and, 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 and you would send down your son to seek me, seek us so that we can be with you with him forever, and we, 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 we just don't understand, but we thank you that this morning, this afternoon, we, we can say that we, we have indeed experienced that in our weakness we have felt the overwhelming satisfaction of knowing that we belong to him and that he is a God who will never abandon us, who walks with us and, and, and strengthens us and will lead us to that place where he, we has, where he has called us. And to that end, Lord, we are satisfied. Satisfied. We are satisfied. He indeed is our satisfaction. We thank you. We love you for all that he is to us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, and all God's people said, Amen.